Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. This morning, we're looking at a passage that's equally famous and equally disturbing. Uh, The story is the story of the binding of Isaac. It's our reading from Genesis. Abraham leads his son up the hill to be offered as a sacrifice to God. Isaac is bound. He is laid in a makeshift altar. And at the very last moment, an angel steps in and a substitute ram is provided. It's a story that terrifies me. Uh, The last time I preached on this passage, I did not have a child I have a child. This story terrifies me even more now. Um, But be glad that you're living in the year 2020. Because in the ancient world, the idea of human sacrifice was a lot more common than it is today. Uh, To read the Bible and to read uh, historical documents, there's evidence of child sacrifice in a bunch of ancient civilizations, many of them parallel in time to this part of the story of Israel. So think of nations like Phoenicia and Carthage. They had child sacrifice in their history. You also find human sacrifice in Tibet and China, India, and in the Aztec and Mayan civilizations. The Celts, they also likely had the practice as well. And there are a number of stories we read in the scripture about human sacrifice. Uh, In 2 Kings chapter 3, um, Israel at that point is a big kind of powerhouse nation in the region. And uh, they have this one nation, they've captured the nation of Moab, and they're kind of like a servant state. Well, Moab comes to rebel. They say, Israel, we don't want to be under you. We don't want to pay you tribute anymore. And they try to free themselves. And as Israel forms an army and squashes that rebellion, as that happens, uh, the king of Moab is caught in a siege. And he's trying to flee, and the king of Moab sacrifices his own son to his pagan god, hoping that he might get away. Um, Spoiler alert, he does not. It does not work. And in fact, if you read into um, the history of Israel, one of the reasons that the prophets call out Israel uh, for um, needing to be led away into exile, for being defeated, for having Jerusalem leveled, and for having uh, the the whole nation be led off into exile in Babylon, one of the, the great wicked evils that was done was that a king of Israel, a guy named Manasseh, He brings in this pagan god named Molech into the life of Israel. And Molech is a deity that accepts child sacrifice. And so the king of Israel offers up one of his children to be killed as a burnt offering to a pagan god. So yes, this story in the year 2020 is disturbing and brutal and scary. But if you're living in, you know, like 2020 BC, if you're living 4,000 years ago, the story is even more brutal and more scary. And in fact, it's, it's brutal and scary because um, the odds that a god would ask for a human sacrifice and you would be required to give it, um, back then it's certainly a lot more of a reality than it is today. 
the possibility of a, of a God asking for a child sacrifice or for any human sacrifice, um, well, it wasn't that uncommon back in the day. So even though this story is disturbing, even though this is a scary story, there are a few notes that are going to help us make it easier to swallow. And I want to point out three things about the text. Um, first, I want to point out that, you know, we spent the last three months studying Abraham's life, and so we know by context that Isaac uh, is a special child. Uh, that, that this child has been promised for 25 years. And um, for God to sort of turn around and say, okay, you've waited for this child for 25 years, child's a little bit older now, now I want you to sacrifice it to me. Um, there's some context here that makes you scratch your head. Because it's like, wait a minute, this child is the child of promise. It's supposed to be that this child, God, you promised that this child would be the seed of the future generations that you promised. What is all this about having a nation, a family so big that they're going to have to form a government to rule itself? You remember that promise, God? That wasn't that long ago. And then this was the way you said you were going to do it, but now you want us to offer this child as a burnt offering? Doesn't make sense. So there's something in the text, if you've been reading this so far, where you're like, something's up here, and I don't know what's going on. A second thing is, notice that Abraham tells his servants, um, when he goes off to sacrifice his son, he says, um, we will be back. Here's the exact, um, the exact phrasing. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you, or come again to you. So he tells his two, the two servants that are with him, he says, we will be back. We will be back. I mean, it's implied at the very least that Abraham in that moment recognizes there's something going on. And even though God told me this, that I need to offer up my child as a burnt offering, I think there's something deeper going on. There's a deeper thing at play here, and we will both be back. Third thing to notice is um, the, the same thing that Isaac notices, right? Isaac notices that there is no lamb for the sacrifice. He says, hey, Dad, w where's the lamb? We're doing the burnt offering thing. And at this point, you know, they've got the woods. So theoretically, Isaac, you know, younger man at this point, he's carrying a whole stack of firewood for a burnt offering. And he's looking around. And he says, hey, Dad, where is the, the lamb? And Abraham says, you know, God will provide sacrifice. It clues us in that something suspicious is going on here. That Abraham knows something is a little more going on a little bit more than just offer your child as a sacrifice. And so we should think that too. But despite all this, when Abraham arrives at the mountain, God has picked out. Isaac is bound. His hands and his feet are tied together. He cannot move. And he is laid atop a pile of wood. And we know how the story ends. As Abraham draws the knife, an angel comes to stay his hand and says, use this ram instead. Abraham's faith is commended, though I imagine there were probably a lot of tension. There's probably a lot of tension between Abraham and Isaac and maybe God as well after this whole time has moved forward. Um, there's something about this story that proves that Abraham does indeed have trust in God. He trusts God enough to take his own son and lay him on the line. He trusts God enough to kind of go through the motions. And he trusts the God of the past to say, look, there's something else funny going on here. It's not just I'm supposed to offer up my child. So I'm going to kind of go through the motions and see what God has in store anyway. Now, there are a number of bad ways to interpret this story, and I want to go through a couple of them before I tell you I think the best way. And um, uh, here's, here's one. So when I was in a pretty moralist youth program in my teen years, 
we had a Sunday school exercise around this lesson. And each teen in the Sunday school class was given five index cards, and we were told to write down the five most important things in our life. And so, of course, we're in Sunday school, so it was like God. You know, we wrote down God, and then family and friends. And then maybe we were on a football team, and we said football. And maybe we played a musical instrument, and that was our thing. So we put, like, the saxophone. Or maybe we had a dog, a pet of some sort, so we put a pet. And so we had five index cards with five important things on them. And so what we were asked to do then, what the Sunday school teachers asked us to do, was to say, okay, you've got your five important things. Now, if you only had to pick four, which one would you pick? We had to hand in one of these five index cards. So people were like, okay, well, I'll hand in, you know, my saxophone, or I'll hand in football. And they said, okay, now you've got four, but now you, you, you can only have three of them. And we looked at the four, we said, okay, well, I guess, you know, family, friends, and whatever, I guess I'll, I'll, my pet, I'll, I'll give my, my pet. And now we had three index cards, and they said, now you can only have two of them. Now you can only have one of them. And the idea was to try to get us to think about what we would give up, how to put God as our number one priority, and how everything else fell under that. The, the idea of being specifically that, you know, we had an index card with God and we had to choose between, like, family and God or something along those lines. Um, first off, it's a very scarring uh, Sunday school lesson. So I remember it, you know, 20 years later. So don't do that to any children because I don't think that's theologically accurate. Um, but the idea behind the exercise was to see what you would sacrifice in your life if God asked you to. And, and really, the only um, thing that the exercise did was look at Abraham's story today and say, wow, Abraham was literally going to sacrifice his son, the most important thing in the world, for God. Isn't that great? Doesn't he have a deep faith? And I'm like, no, I don't know that that's really all that great. Um, you know, because if that's the whole story here, Abraham's a little more psychotic and a danger to the community than anything else. And so if we approach this story and think of it as a moralistic tale about sacrificing to God, we are missing the point. There are dozens of other places in Scripture where the idea of a human sacrifice is forbidden. And so instead of asking ourselves, what do we need to give up to God to show we are faithful— Maybe we should ask instead, why would God sort of bring this mimicked human sacrifice through Abraham this early in Scripture? I also don't think this, this story is a parable about parenting either. There are a number of little more sort of like secular, um, you know, um, trying to be relevant scholar uh, sources that have tried to say that this is a story about parenting. And it tries to take the teeth out of this passage by suggesting that Abraham is modeling what it looks like to be a religious parent. And the thought is by placing Isaac on the altar, we are placing our children into the hands of God. We are asked to sacrifice our own parenting needs and wants for the sake of turning our children over to the care of God. I think this is a bad reading of the passage on a number of levels. It completely ignores the Bible's repeated theme of atoning sacrifice um, given to God for the forgiveness of wrongdoing right? Um, it totally ignores the fact that this whole idea of sacrificing an animal and offering it to God is not about sort of devotion, it's about atonement. And it completely ignores the parental vocation as laid out in the rest of scripture. You don't have to, to sort of go to this story if you need advice on parenting. There's a lot of other advice on how to raise a godly kid without pretending to sacrifice them on a fiery altar. 
Um, I think Abraham would gladly have given his life for Isaac, in fact. And the, the, the rest of the scripture says if you really want to mimic God's love for your children, then the way you would do that in this story is that Abraham would bind himself on the altar to save his son Isaac from being destroyed. I think that's more, that's, if this story were about parenting, maybe that's what we would read. But I don't think this is a story about parenting. Here's what I'd like us to look at today. I want to talk about Moriah. Um, because the region, the mountainous region of Moriah that we're talking about here, the place where the sacrifice takes place, it's a range of mountains in Israel. And in that region, one day, King David is going to come along, and he's going to find a city in this region of the mountains of Moriah, and that city is called Jerusalem, and he's going to move the capital of Israel there. And so when we think of the Moriah Mountains, we think of Jerusalem, and one day there will be another son, a heavenly son, like Isaac, who will carry a heavy load of wood up the side of a mountain like Isaac does, just like Isaac did in our reading. And when this heavenly son gets to the top of the hill, he will be bound and he will be prepared as a sacrifice. But this is where the two stories differ in their path. Because while the hand of Abraham was stayed at the last moment, um, there was no hand that was stayed when Jesus Christ was crucified. That in the last second, Isaac was spared, but the reality is Jesus Christ was not. That Jesus Christ was pierced and run through and executed by the hands, by the permissive hands of his own heavenly father. And so what I want to point out to you today is to see the binding of Isaac in Genesis 22 is to see a deep connection between the beloved son of Abraham, perhaps the most beloved son in all of the Old Testament, a beloved son that had, you had to wait 25 years to get, um, to see a connection between the be beloved son of Abraham and the beloved son of God. The purpose of this story is not to get us thinking about what we can sacrifice. It's not to get us to think about how to be better parents. It's to get us to think about Jesus. And you know, if we had a religion that was based on our actions and our behaviors and our good works and proving ourselves to God, then in some sense we would all be playing the youth group index card game all the time. And we'd be trying to think of ways to prove to God that we are truly devout Christians. We'd be playing it for our whole lives, not just on Sunday school mornings. And we'd be trying to climb a stairway to heaven with our good works punch cards and we would be constantly looking for new and creative ways to show our for a devotion to the divine. And we would think of it like this. You remember that famous line from JFK's inaugural address? He asked famously, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And in a religion that is based on works, our good behavior or perfect faith, we might rephrase his idiom to say that if we are to earn our way into heaven, then, you know, we should not ask what God can do for us, but ask what we can do for God. And so if our religion was rooted in sacrifices and self-denials and the giving up of that which we love for God's approval, then all of us would at some point in our life have to bind our Isaacs and sacrifice them to the God of the heavens to prove our devotion by sacrificing something that we love to hand in our index cards and to say, this is not the most important thing. God, you are the most important thing. But that's not what Abraham does in our story. At the end of the story, he does not say a word about his own sacrifice. He doesn't say a word about his own devotion or about his good works. What does he call the place of this near sacrifice? 
He calls it this place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. He names this place after God's work, after God's offering of a substitute. It turns out that Abraham does not have to sacrifice his only son to prove his full devotion to God. Why? Because God will one day give up his only son to atone for the sins of the world. And it will flip the script and we will no longer have to prove our goodness to the heavens, but we will simply have to believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. All our failures, friends, have been erased from the logbooks of heaven and our good works had to prove our goodness are no longer required. So the point of the binding of Isaac, my friends, is this. The thing that makes this story a remarkable and beautiful part of our scriptures, the thing that makes it good instead of bad and encouraging instead of a terror is this. God gave up his only son so that you would not have to. God gave up his only son so that you would not have to. This is why ritualistic, you know, Aztec-style human sacrifice is such an offense to God. It's an offense because it's the fullest way of communicating to the heavens that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not enough. That Jesus Christ was not a good enough death to save the world. And so we need to sacrifice someone uh, or something else important on top of it. It's like saying, God, your sacrifice wasn't good enough. I needed to do more. Yes, human sacrifice is terrible and it shouldn't be practiced in any religion, but it also denigrates and ignores the perfect sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave to us. And so to remix that JFK quote one more time, the Christian faith is not to ask what we can do for God, as if God is some poor, helpless deity sitting in the heavens going, why won't somebody just step up and do my will? You know, um, that Christian faith is not about what you can do for God. The Christian faith is about what God has done for you. The Christian faith is about what God has done for you. And so when we write down our five most beloved things on the index cards and we look at them and the Sunday school teacher says, give these up, we can say, you know what? I'm not going to give these up because these are the testaments. These five index cards are the testimonies of just how much God has given to me. And the way to worship God is to look at those five beautiful things that are in your life and to say, what a remarkable array of ways that the Lord has provided for me. The Lord provided for Abraham. Look at how God provided for me. Look at the remarkable gifts that God has put in my life. And the way that I love God is not by giving back those gifts, but by looking at them and being delighted in them. And like someone who gives a good present and who takes joy at the fact that the receiver of that gift has enjoyed the gift to its fullest, we look at the five things that we would write on our index cards and say, thank you, God, for every blessing of my life. It is not about what I can do for you, God. It's about what you have done for me. And so, friends, this morning, the gospel message that comes to us from a scary Old Testament story of fear and loss and human sacrifice, the gospel message the good news is there. When we read this story and compare it to the Heavenly Father's gift of his Son, we find that this one story in the Old Testament is one of the clearest road signs that point to the ministry of Jesus to come. And so, friends, I say to you this morning that Christian faith is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. God gave his only Son to suffer death on the cross so that you would not have to. 
know this and go and find the Lord's provision in your own life. In Jesus' name, amen. Ligonier, Pennsylvania.